This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. are listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. X out, go listen to some boring podcast where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza. Because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Crage. Give me a name. Who delivers this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. In the big spot. Who delivers better than this guy? Stop yelling at me. I agree. Yo, it is the flagship podcast. I am Joe. Rich is still away, gallivanting around Alaska, of all places. But I have a big show for you today. We got a bunch of topics to get to. WrestleMania fallout, WWE, the debut of Cody. We'll talk all about that. Uh, Big ratings for WWE over the last couple of weeks. We'll talk about that as well. Then... We're going to review Dynamite. That's right. You're getting the Thursday TV reviews for free on the flagship this week as we move the Thursday TV reviews to the flagship. And I will give a full and complete review of this Wednesday's Dynamite before we move into some other topics. We're going to talk some New Japan. They've got Hyper Battle coming up. Windy City Riot keeps adding matches. All Japan Champion Carnival. That's going to get going in a couple of days. Is it a couple of days? When's that starting? Let me grab that date for you. The Old Japan Champion Carnival. Yeah, starts. Uh, it'll start by the time some of you listen to this. So uh, I don't think we've talked much Champion Carnival on the flagship yet. So I will break down the blocks, give you some predictions, tell you what matches to keep an eye on. We'll even do a little Dragon Gate this week. Kness is retiring. So... Uh, We will get to that before the show is over as well. But, of course, we have to start with WrestleMania weekend. You're not going to get any show reviews here, though. Not going to review WrestleMania. Not going to review NXT. Nothing from the collective. None of the WrestleCon shows. If you are looking for reviews from WrestleMania weekend, I did about six to seven hours, a little over six hours of audio Each night, Thursday through Sunday, I reviewed 17 total shows over WrestleMania weekend. Every show held at the WrestleCon venue. uh, A bunch of shows from the collective. All three WWE offerings. Both nights of WrestleMania and, of course, NXT Stand and Deliver. Even did a couple of shows from the Texas Mania venue. 17 show reviews plus all of the news and notes from the weekend, broken down into four shows, Thursday through Sunday. I did a wrap-up show each night of the week, and you can access that six hours of audio behind the paywall right now on our $5 tier. What the hell's the URL? This is where I need Rich. Patreon.com slash Voices of Wrestling. Over six hours of show reviews. I think... There are less shows that aired that I did not review than I reviewed. So 
Uh, you won't get Joey Janela Spring Break Night 2. You won't get Effie's Big Gay Brunch. You won't get Unsanctioned Pro. I'm trying to think what else I didn't review. Those three off the top of my head. I did the whole WrestleCon venue, every show that took place from there. Um, I did most of the collective, aside from the three I just named. I didn't do any of the Deathmatch stuff, so you're not going to get any of the uh, Deathmatch shows. I didn't do the VIP show Midnight on Sunday, but I was giving live updates of the VIP wrestling show while I was doing the Sunday night update. So while I didn't technically do a review of that, I did talk plenty about the VIP show, which was the final show of the weekend on Midnight on Sunday. So you know what? Make it 18 shows that I reviewed behind the paywall. Fuck it. Throw VIP in there. Because while I was doing the Sunday night update, I spent plenty of time talking about the VIP show that was going on while I was recording the Sunday show. So uh, you kind of got 18 reviews in there. But uh, yeah, so a ton of audio there, and that's where you'll find your reviews. We don't have to waste any time uh, reviewing any of the WrestleMania weekend shows here today. So we can dedicate our time to a bunch of other topics. And you can get all of that, of course, on the uh, $5 tier. So um, the $5 tier will get you access to most of the content we do behind the paywall. But if you want everything we do, you got to be on the $10 tier. That's where you get the live flagships, the live instant reactions, and all of our written content in addition to everything that's available on the $5 tier. So uh, two different price tiers, but if you're specifically looking for WrestleMania reviews, either the two WrestleMania shows themselves one of which I really enjoyed, and the other of which I didn't like so much. I'm sure you can figure out which is which. Um, also, over the course of the weekend, I saw what I think is maybe one of the 10 or 20 worst matches I've ever seen in my life, and it's not Vince McMahon versus Pat McAfee. So there's a little teaser for you. So that match gets buried thoroughly. So if you're looking for... WrestleMania reviews, WrestleMania weekend reviews. I don't think you'll find a more thorough audio source on the planet than uh, than what I did behind the paywall. And of course, Rich, every year with the previews available for free right here on this feed that you're listening to now, he spends hours and hours previewing all of these shows. And then uh, you get over six hours of reviews of 18 total shows on the $5 tier. So, all right, enough plugs. You guys are... Uh, not listening to hear me read an ad for the paywall, but um, look, this would be a good time to jump in if you're, you know, if you're just looking for those reviews, jump in, pay five bucks, you know, um, listen for the rest of the month, and then cancel at the end of April, you know, and, and you can get that six hours of WrestleMania reviews for five dollars. So we have plenty of people who jump in and out depending on the month and depending on you know what kind of content we're pumping out. So let's talk about the aftermath of WrestleMania though. So first, I want to talk a little bit about the ratings because uh, WWE ratings have been uh, very good over the last week or so, the lead up to WrestleMania, and then a pretty well-received WrestleMania, what is it, 38, where I think for the hardcore WWE fan, these were both seen as positive shows, and I think it was a generally well-received WrestleMania overall. So I think that may have helped uh, the Raw numbers for sure. Cody, without question, 
helped the Raw numbers raw this past Monday, which opened up with the uh, Cody promo to start the show, which we're going to talk about in depth when we're done with these ratings. Raw did 2.101 million viewers in a .63. That is the highest total viewership since January, and it is the highest demo number since August 28th of last year. So, uh, big numbers for Raw. SmackDown last week, which was the WrestleMania SmackDown, did 2.359 million viewers in a .61. That is the highest total viewership for SmackDown since last September, and the highest demo figure since January. Even NXT last week did 626,000 viewers in a .14. Both of those numbers were up. And this week did 631,000 viewers, a little bit up in total viewership from last week, coming off of NXT Stand and Deliver, coming off of WrestleMania, and another .14. Uh, slightly less viewers in the demo than last week, but it came out to the same rating with the, uh, with the .14. So, um, and those are some of NXT's best numbers over the last several months as well. So, several weeks and months. So, NXT... Uh, you know, all, trickling all the way down to the, the C show with the strong numbers. And look, there's no question that Cody helped pop the Raw number. You know, you look at the quarter hour breakdowns for Raw, and it was the first hour that really carried the show, which is, you know, usually uh, Raw uh, tails off in viewership as the show moves along. So that's not completely unusual. But Cody's promo really took up the first two quarter hours and those were two of the three strongest quarter hours in the show, both in total viewership and in the, uh, and in the demo. So, uh, people were interested in Cody. That's why they opened up the show with him. Um, the show peaked. It, it grew, the show grew throughout the Cody promo from start to finish. So, uh, clearly people were interested in it and it held people's attention. And again, we're going to break down the promo in a minute. Uh, but yeah, and then the show peaked from the uh, quarter hour four, which was 8.45 to 9, which was a Kevin Owens promo and some other things, Miz versus Dominic. But, uh, you know, typical quarter hour. And then, uh, you know, top of the hour there. And and overall, the first hour of the show was uh, by far the best performing hour and, and, and really carried Raw to some of its best numbers in months. So, and a lot of that had to do with that Cody promo. And, you know, when I did my WrestleMania audio for on Saturday, following Cody's return to WWE and his debut, his re-debut against Seth Rollins, uh, I, I did, I spent a lot of time talking about Cody's return. Uh, the, the piece and variety that just so happened to drop just as Cody was walking to the ring, which was um, yet another stroke of, uh, of the genius of Nick Khan, making sure that gets released just as Cody is uh, uh, entering the ring. And then his, he, uh, he did a 17-minute a podcast with, with uh, Schumacher behind, uh, be on, the, uh, on the Ringer podcast network, uh, immediately following his math with Seth, match with Seth Rollins. And uh, they had him do a... A, uh, a media scrum the next day. And, and if you look at WWE social media feeds, it's just loaded with Cody. So it is just, you know, it's very clear that it, at least at this point, they intend on pushing him very hard and they see this as a major coup and you can't blame them. You can't blame them. 
Um, you know, as I said behind the paywall, if if you would have given Vince McMahon an opportunity to pluck anyone he liked off of the AEW roster, he may have picked Cody. You know, he, that may have been Vince's first round draft choice if given an opportunity, given that Cody was sort of the symbolic leader of sort of this counter revolution uh, movement that led to the creation of AEW. And Cody, of course, smashing the throne with the sledgehammer and being very vocal against WWE and, 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 um, you know, Vince thrives on bringing people back into the fold who badmouth him and badmouth his company. And on top of all that, Cody also happens to be an enormous star who was a legitimate business moving star for AEW. So, and as we've seen the early returns, you know, you look at this raw rating and the numbers he popped for that promo. Uh, it has carried over to his new old company. So this is a big get. They're treating it like a big get. And he didn't come cheap. I mean, we don't know the details, and maybe we never will. But what we do know from this bevy of uh, media appearances that Cody has done and interviews and whatnot is that he got a uh, very advantageous contract. He described it as a... Um, Enormous contract with a with a, a lot of uh, demands that were met. He got a tour bus as part of his deal. He has jokingly said that uh, Stardust is never to make an appearance again. Um, I don't know if that's an official part of the contract, but he did joke about that. And you know, I'm sure that the money was huge, and I'm sure that. Um, there were a lot of protections put in. He's going to be the executive producer on a documentary on his father. So um, there's a reason that this was a long, grueling negotiation. And a lot of those reasons are probably similar, but not the same as to why it was a long, grueling negotiation with Tony Khan, which eventually fell apart. So uh, this is, you know, WWE to this point is treating this like the gigantic get that it is. We'll see. We will see if that holds or if he's just another guy in a month or three months or six months. And I have to tell you, after watching this promo on Monday, um, (laughs) I wasn't confident because you can't be with this company. You have to keep them at arm's length. You can never trust them. So I wasn't entirely confident that they would continue to treat him like a top star throughout this multi-year deal. And that it wouldn't all eventually uh, slip into their usual pattern of shit. And now I'm less confident than ever after hearing the promo. But I'll get into that in a minute. Because I did not like the promo. And I'll tell you why when I, when I begin to break it down. But I thought the debut itself was handled perfectly. And I mean that. I, I, perfectly. I wouldn't have changed a thing about the return or the debut or whatever you want to call it. He came across like an absolute megastar. They didn't change a thing about his presentation. And that's something Cody has talked about in all the media that he's done, how that was important to him. He wanted to come back 
And it had to be the American Nightmare. It had to be the Kingdom and all of those things. And at least on night one, at least at WrestleMania, they gave him everything he asked for, and it was handled perfectly. And he said, Vince even said, hey, look, that's what I'm buying, which is very un-Vince-like. Vince loves to put his own spin on things or thinks that he can improve things that, are, that have already proven to have worked. And sometimes Vince's ego gets in the way, and he just wants to make something his own. You can give numerous examples historically, whether it's ECW or the NWO or uh, Ric Flair in 1991, or you can go right down the line. There's a million examples. WCW is a glaring example. Um, And a lot of times that backfires on him, and, and it doesn't work out as well as it would have if he just would have left well enough alone. This, at least on night one, and I suppose on Raw as well. Uh, look, the American Nightmare Cody Rhodes is intact. And that's something that he stressed was important to him. And that Vince and others agreed. Not that the others' opinions ever matter. But that Vince and others agreed that that was important to them as well. Because that's what they're buying. So I thought the debut was phenomenal. I thought the match was phenomenal. Tremendous match. Easy notebook match. Exciting. Dramatic. Fans are into it. Outside of Stone Cold Steve Austin, I'm not sure anybody on WrestleMania, at least that night, got a bigger pop than Cody did. And the match itself, the crowd was hot. You couldn't have scripted out the re-debut more perfectly than it played out. It was everything that he could have asked for and the company could have expected. Perfection. That's why I use the word perfect. It really was perfect. As far as the promo on Monday, this is where the road splits a bit for me. You know, I think my biggest problem with the promo, because it wasn't a bad promo, like from a technical pro wrestling promo standpoint, it was a pretty good promo. Cody's a good talker. He conveys his message well when he cuts a promo. He speaks well. He, he's got great mannerisms. He controls the crowd when he speaks. I mean, he, he, he knows how to cut a promo. And there was nothing wrong with this promo. But I was expecting something a little more rooted in real-life emotion. Something more along the lines of CM Punk's return on Rampage. And look, nothing's ever going to compare to that because of the circumstances. But at least something along those lines. I was expecting something a little more along the lines of when Moxley returned to AEW. I was expecting something a little more along the lines of some of the promos that Cody cut in AEW. To be completely honest. So if you don't like the comparisons to the return of one of the biggest stars in modern wrestling after seven years... Or the emotional return of a man who went away and took care of his problems and came back to an enthusiastic fan base and all that. I understand, but let's just compare Cody to himself. Okay, and now look, I get it. Any pro wrestling promo in a pro wrestling ring is going to have a hint of pro wrestling to it. I get that. And I'm not, I don't, I'm not suggesting that Cody should have went out there on Monday 
And given all the dirty details on his dealings with Tony Khan, and look, I didn't expect that, and and that's not why I'm being critical of the promo. But what I wasn't expecting, even though you always expect a dash of, of pro wrestling in these sorts of things, and these guys are all workers, and they know the things they need to say to get over, okay, uh, I was expecting something a little more based in reality and real-life emotion. And what we got was a pro-wrestling promo putting over a pro-wrestling angle and a pro-wrestling storyline. And I thought maybe on night one we'd get some of that because, of course, you always have to push what's coming. You've got to build a match. You've got to build a story. I understand all that. But I thought we'd have a little more real-life emotion mixed in. And I think the reason we didn't is because Cody signing with WWE wasn't an emotional decision. It was a business decision. So he couldn't speak from the heart. He couldn't speak from a place of strong emotion. Because this was a business decision. Look, I don't buy the idea that this was an easy decision for Cody, as he has termed it, both in the ring on Raw and in some of the media outlets. He said it's an easy. De- he said it was an easy decision because he's got unfinished business because he wants to win the title that Dusty could never win. And he wants to do it for Dusty. And I'm sorry. But I don't buy that Cody Rhodes. Made an easy decision. To walk away from AEW. And sign with WWE. Because he wants to win. A fake pro wrestling title. That his father never won. That quite honestly. I don't buy for one second. Was important to his father. Who was a three time NWA world champion by the way. It's a wrestling storyline. He whipped one up and, you know, he worked up the tears. And I'm not suggesting that those were fake. But this isn't the reason that Cody jumped from one company to the other. And it certainly wasn't an easy decision. And if you think one day Cody woke up and said, you know, you know what I really need to do? I need to jump to to WWE to win the title that my father almost won in 1977 against superstar Billy Graham. It's not about the money, and it's not about the control. It's simply about winning this fake title, and it's something I have to do. No. No. This is a pro wrestling angle and a pro wrestling story. That's what this is. Um, In fact... When you start to put the clues together, I don't buy that Cody ever wanted to leave AEW to begin with. Do I think he was entirely happy? I mean, obviously not, or he would have made something happen. And he would have stayed. But this idea that he's trying to pass off, that it was the plan all along and it was an easy decision to leave, look, 
I understand why he's saying that. He has to say that. He's got to put over his new place of work that just signed him to a multi-year deal and gave him a gajillion dollars and a hundred-page complicated contract and a tour bus. I get it. But this is what I'm saying. This was a business deal. And And on Monday, he was in the ring doing business. And at that point, I became a little less interested. I'll be honest. I became a little less interested in all of this. The man was working dynamites without a contract. His wife was shooting angles to build a match up until a week before they left. As Dave Meltzer reported... Cody was planning stuff with the AEW community outreach team through June and July. This wasn't a guy who had his heart set on winning a kayfabe title. This was a guy who was negotiating hard with Tony Khan and trying to stay with his previous company. All of the breadcrumbs are there. Of course, now he's going to say that he worked with everybody he wanted to work with. And Look, he's a worker. He's going to say it was an easy decision and this is where I needed to be. And I worked with everybody I needed to work with there. And Of course, he's going to say those things. He has to appeal to his new fan base now. How many times have I come on here and told you that when these AEW wrestlers go out there and they... They, they sideswipe WWE or take shots at WWE or, or do those things. It's because they're appealing to the AEW fan base. They know that stuff's going to get over. And I'm not saying there's, they're not out there having a bit of fun when they do that. And I'm not saying the things that they say aren't rooted in reality to some extent. But... Do they say those things and cut those promos because they know it's going to help them get over in front of AEW crowds that largely dislike WWE? Of course. And Cody's going to go in front of WWE crowds and say that this was his destiny and this was the title that he that he needs to win to fulfill uh, you know this hole that he has in his life and. Uh, I did everything I need. I wrestled everyone I needed to wrestle over there and did everything I needed to do, and this is where I want to be, of course, because now he wants to get over with this audience. Don't ever forget that these people are workers. And here's another thing. Don't think for one second that there's anybody in that AEW locker room who, when the time comes, with the possible exception of John Moxley and CM Punk, okay, who won't listen to that side And do the same thing. And that includes Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks and Hangman Page and whoever else right down the line. These are business decisions. And Cody made a business decision when he walked away from the negotiating table with Tony Khan. Or when he was steadfast in what he wanted from Tony Khan and Tony Khan walked away from the table. It really doesn't matter who walked away from who. Or whether they both walked away at the same time. And neither one of them are going to talk about it. Because I do think they both respect each other from that standpoint. Even if there may be a little bit of bad blood that they couldn't get something done. 
Cody's not going to talk about it. Tony's not going to talk about it. We saw how Tony reacted the last time that he felt somebody betrayed him and talked about uh, dirty laundry once they left the company. He sent out a tweet that a lot of people still haven't forgiven him for. I mean, our best hope is that Cody does fly a little too close to the sun and piss off Tony. And then we get, you know, angry TK making more tweets that he's going to regret. And maybe we'll get the details of the negotiation that fell apart. But that was business. And then Cody cutting a deal with WWE was business. But what his promo told me on Monday is that this was not an emotional decision at all. This was a business decision. And he got enough of what he wanted, or all of what he wanted, and that helped him make this decision and sign the deal. And now he's part of the team. But he wanted you to think he made an emotional decision. But that's pro wrestling. I don't begrudge him for this. I'm not knocking the guy. He went out there and talked about his old man. And he set the stage for what he hopes is going to be his long-term arc in this, quote, multi-year deal that he signed. Okay? And that's winning that big one for his old man. And for himself. And for his family. And it's a good idea and it's a good story. But I don't buy it for a second. It's not why he made this move. But that's pro wrestling. And I've seen people say, well, I don't get it. If he wanted to be world champion, why did he book the stipulation against MJF or pitch that stipulation or go along with the stipulation to never be able to win the world title in AW because this is pro wrestling and he's doing a storyline. He's a worker and he's working. This is why I don't buy for one second that that was the impetus for the jump. You can't possibly believe that. So that's why the promo felt a little flat for me. I was expecting something a little more rooted in real emotion and in the reality of the situation with the pro wrestling stuff mixed in, and we didn't get that. And perhaps I shouldn't have been expecting that. You get a little less leeway in his new company to cut promos like that. So now Cody's in WWE, and he has set the stage for his title chase. Seth Rollins came out and shook his hand. And I'm going to be honest, my interest plummeted at that point. Look, it was going to happen eventually. It just happened probably a couple of weeks sooner than I thought it would. Look, it's WWE. My interest levels are going to be limited to begin with. 
they don't present pro wrestling the way I want to see it in any way, shape, or form. That's no secret to any of you unless you're a first-time listener. So, um, the Cody stuff was going to lose me eventually and probably sooner than later either way. But now I'm already out. (laughs) I don't, you know, I, I have some curiosity as to when they'll eventually put them on the hamster wheel to nowhere like they do with everybody else. But um, since they, they, they really have gotten them off to a strong start and, and have shown interest in, in treating them like a true, true, a true star, not the pretend stars that they like to tell you that they've made. But uh, we'll see how long it lasts. That's the last glimmer of interest that I have in this. And what I'm curious about is whether – there's a lot of people who came away from that promo the same way I did and how that will affect the numbers that he draws moving forward. We'll see. This decision wasn't made with his soul. So he couldn't Speak from the soul. And that's really what this comes down to. So he had to go out there and work. There's a great scene in The Sopranos, season two, where Richie April comes back to report to Uncle Junior that he was unsuccessful in convincing the other captains that they needed to knock off Tony. And Junior gives him a hug and he says goodbye and Richie leaves and Bobby Bacala notices that Junior isn't very happy and Bobby goes, What Junior? And Junior says to Bobby, he just couldn't sell it. And Bobby asks Junior to explain. And Junior goes into how he just couldn't convince the other captains that this was the move. And to him, that means that Richie is weak. And Junior says to Bobby, I'm going to stay with Tony because he just couldn't sell it. And Bobby says to Junior, I'm in awe of you. That's one of my favorite scenes of the show. And that's what this, this promo reminded me of that scene. Because Cody went out there and cut a perfectly fine pro wrestling promo. And he even worked some emotion. And really tried to make us believe that this was an emotion, a decision made from the soul. But he just couldn't sell it. We'll be back. In the hobby... It's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. 
we hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club Slab Pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying oh, hey look at some random cards or whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash VOWnet. Arenaclub.com slash VOWnet for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. All right, we're back. So let's talk about Dynamite. This, of course, is the Thursday TV reviews, which normally is behind the paywall on the $5 tier of VoicesWrestling.com. Slash Patreon, where I review Dynamite each and every week. I usually do this along with the uh, the ratings, okay? And then we do a full ratings analysis and breakdown along with a review of the show with me recording this flagship before the ratings drop on Thursday afternoon. There will be no ratings talk as part of this review this week. But if you uh, subscribe to the $5 tier each and every week, you get a Dynamite review with full ratings analysis, and then occasionally you also get a review of a second show, usually MLW Fusion. We stopped doing Fusion reviews a couple of months back when they switched to the MLW Azteca stuff, but uh, we might get back on the horse and start doing some MLW again coming up soon or maybe add a second show, but the point is uh, you get a lot of content on those Thursday TV reviews each and every week, every Thursday afternoon. It usually hits the feed an hour or so before the live flagship. So if you like what you hear uh, today on the flagship and you want to hear more of my dynamite analysis on a week-in, week-out basis, 
you can get that on the $5 tier. So, okay, let's get into it. We obviously don't have ratings to discuss, so we can get right into this episode of Dynamite. And uh, actually, before I talk about Dynamite, I thought Rampage on Friday, which I also watched uh, today, and, uh, and I'm speaking to you uh, very, very late on Wednesday night, early Thursday morning. Um, I finally got around to watching Rampage because I didn't watch it on Friday because I was wrapped up in all the WrestleMania shows and making sure that I had the 18 reviews for you guys ready. So I kind of blew off Rampage over the weekend and I watched it before Dynamite. That Rampage was one hell of a Rampage. And I really thought the closing angle with Will Hobbs and Ricky Starks and Keith Lee and Shane Strickland was absolute fucking fire. I mean, that feud is just tremendous right now. And I know they followed up on it on Dynamite with the locker room attack. And we'll talk about that. But I thought that the uh, the closing angle on Rampage this past Friday night uh, was just uh, super hot. So I uh, wanted to make brief mention of that. Uh, now, as far as Rampage goes, the, the numbers, the, the, the viewership and the ratings have not been great the last couple of weeks. Remember, they were... Not preempted, but pushed to later in the night a couple of weeks ago when the NCAA tournament was going on. So the show did, um, you know, uh, I, I don't want to say a poor number because it was a decent number for the for when it aired, but, but you know, a smaller number than what they normally do. They didn't really bounce back this past week either. And you could tell that Tony Khan uh, has decided that that needs to change and we need a reversal on those numbers because – in two weeks, we are getting Hangman Page defending the AEW world title against Adam Cole on Rampage. That is a huge match. That is a huge match, which I believe is going to pop a number. Now, anyone expecting CM Punk debut level numbers is out of their minds. Okay, it's not going to do those kind of numbers. But I do expect it to pop one of the biggest numbers that Rampage has ever done, if not the biggest number Rampage has ever done outside of that CM Punk debut. It should do one of the biggest. I'd have to check what Rampage did in the following weeks immediately after the Punk debut because I'm, you know, it started off super high, over a million viewers, and then normally shows will uh, siphon off some viewers and settle to where they're going to settle three or four weeks in, and I don't remember I'd have to look it up to see what they did the the week after and the, and and two weeks after the punk debut but outside of when the show debuted with punk and maybe the following week or two this match should pop the biggest number in rampage history and I expect it to and quite honestly it better it better I mean because again I don't want to make this a referendum on hangman page in two weeks but you've got a nine-day build, not a two-day build. You've got a nine-day build, so plenty of time. They did a good angle tonight. I'm sure they'll do something uh, on Friday, and I'm sure they'll do something on Dynamite next week to push this as well. So you've got a long enough build. You've got a world champion who's doing well enough, and you have a hot challenger who is typically a business mover. Okay? This match in nine days... Nine days from when I'm recording this. I keep forgetting that I'm not live tonight. Uh, this match on two weeks on Rampage, I believe it will pop a number, but it needs to pop a number. And you, Listen, you know, you, all you millennials 
who were big fans of the anxious millennial cowboy, you, sh- you, you need to show up for the match because this needs to deliver. And you know I've been, you know, you you all think I'm being hard on the hangman. I'm just setting a a what I feel is a fair bar for a guy who should be a company ace and who should be on the path to being the biggest star in the company. That's all. And if, if that's the case, okay, he needs to pop a number two Fridays from now. And you all better show up and watch it. Because let me tell you something. If this match doesn't pop a number, okay, I'm going to be hard on him. I'm going to be hard on him. I'm going to be hard on the match. I'm going to be hard on the company. With a nine-day build, you need to pop a number here. This is a big match. I don't want to hear any excuses. I don't want to hear about how it's 10 o'clock at night. Okay, I'm not asking this to do a dynamite number. I'm not asking this to do a CM Punk number. You know, returning back to wrestling in seven years. I'm not asking that. I'm asking it simply to pop a strong number. Give me the best Rampage number outside of Punk. That's what I want out of this. And I don't want to hear any excuses. I don't want to hear 10 o'clock at night. I don't want to hear... Oh, well, you know, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's rampage. You know, people watch on the DV. I don't want to hear about DVRs. Okay. Everybody showed up for punk. And again, I'm not expecting it to do punk numbers, but you showed up for punk. You didn't watch that on your little DVR. There's a world's title match. Like it's a live challenger. It's not a uh, Serpentico. It's not uh, Fuego del Sol. Okay. It's not Tony Nice. It's Adam Cole. This is a world title match against the real challenger. And it's got a nine-day build. Pop a number. I don't want to hear it. And I expect it to. And it should. And I think it will. But if it doesn't, look out. Clear the table. Warn Rich. Because I'm taking the... We're not doing it behind the paywall. That'll be topic number one on the following flagship. I don't care what, I don't care if Vince McMahon dies. Topic one is going to be why didn't Hangman Page pop a number against Adam Cole on Rampage? That's going to be topic number one on the following uh, flagship. Because that'll be a disaster. This has to deliver. And Khan thinks it's going to deliver. That's why he's doing it. Because he didn't like the numbers the last two weeks. No excuses. No excuses for the farmer if this doesn't pop a number. And I'm going to let you know about it. I like the guy too, but nobody else wants to speak honestly about the hangman. I'm holding him to a high standard. And I don't think it's unfair. Pop a number. I'm keeping an eye on this one. And again, I think it will. It's a big match. It was a hot angle tonight. I believe in the hangman. But that doesn't mean I'm not going to be hard on him if he doesn't deliver. I'm sorry. That's my job. I've been hard on Roman Reigns for like seven years. You all seem to be okay with that. No different here. No different here. That company tells me that Roman Reigns is the biggest. They've been telling me he's the biggest star in wrestling in seven years. Okay. I hold him that standard. And I've been rough on him. 
Well, this company tells me that this guy is the future ace and they want him to be the – well, okay. Well, I'm going to hold him to that standard. Pop a number two Fridays from now. I'm not asking for a million viewers. I'm not asking for a .5 in the demo. Give me the best Rampage number outside of Punk. That's all. That's all. And I don't think that's unfair to ask for. This is big boy time. This isn't the build anymore. This isn't the unsure cowboy washing away his troubles with the whiskey. He's the champ now. Time to deliver. Adam Cole versus Christian opens up the show. Good, solid, professional wrestling match. Um, But it was the chaos afterwards, after Cole's victory, which is what we need to talk about here. Red Dragon's out. Hangman comes out. Red hot response from the crowd. Okay. Uh, Full of fire. Gets in Cole's face. Says, we're going to be in Texas for Rampage in two weeks. You want a match? We're going to be in Texas. How about a Texas death match? And we know Hangman can deliver bell to bell in those. We've seen it. So the stage was set. Look, I'm looking forward to this. I think it's going to be fantastic. Adam Cole always delivers in a big spot. We know that Hangman can deliver in these matches. Hangman's had a great bell to bell year. Okay? I think this is going to have a big fight feel. And I believe in the farmer. I think it's going to pop a number. But it better. But it better. We had Jay Lethal, Jonathan Gresham, Sanjay Dutt, Samoa Joe recap. Little video package before Samoa Joe's in-ring debut with AEW slash Ring of Honor. Is anyone going to be signed to Ring of Honor deals or is everybody going to be all elite and then just some of those people are going to work Ring of Honor? We don't have the answer to that yet. It would have been nice if one of the Fine members of the wrestling media would have asked that question to Tony Khan in the post-show scrum on Saturdays. Somehow it didn't get asked. I mean, you'd think that'd be one of the first questions asked. Somehow it didn't get asked at all. Um, But Joe debuted here on Dynamite against Max Caster, who had a tremendous rap coming down to the ring. He wins it with the Muscle Buster, which is a good sign. I'm glad that that's back. He did a dive. Look, Joe looked great. You know, it was like a three-minute match. I mean, you know, we haven't seen the guy go 20, but he looked great in this spot. He got a enormous pop, and, y- you know, you can't complain. His new theme song, Give It Up for Mikey Ruckus. I mean, the theme song is tremendous. It gets stuck in my head every time I hear it. I was humming it all weekend long after Saturday, and I've been humming it all night tonight after I watched Dynamite. So uh, Samoa Joe's here. And he looks motivated. He looks the part. And uh, he wins this one with the Muscle Buster. So we get Jay Lethal and Sanjay Dutt backstage on the video screen. And I you know, I thought Jay Lethal's promo here was tremendous. I thought Dutt added what he needed to add. I loved how Lethal talked about how Joe is his teacher and his mentor. So look, you own Ring of Honor now. You own Ring of Honor's history. We all know that pro wrestling canon is AEW's canon, so I love that they're weaving in the old Joe and uh, Jay Lethal stuff. Now, you, now look, that we're talking what? That stuff is like 17 years old, this story, where Joe was Lethal's mentor and all that, 17, 18 years we're talking now. 
But again, this is one of those things where if you're like me and you're an old fan and you remember that stuff, you know, it's it's this is these are the things that AEW does that you love. Cuz they respect the fact that you're a wrestling fan. And you know, they're not going to behave as if these two men just met. No. They're going to acknowledge all of the history. And if you're a newer fan, you're not left behind. Lethal just told you that Joe was his mentor and his teacher. So now you're caught up. So it's no harm to you if you're a 20-year-old kid who just started wrestling, watching wrestling, you know, five, six years ago or whatever. And there's plenty of you that listen to this show that are in that boat. And now you're all caught up. It took 10 seconds for Jay Lethal to catch everybody else up to what, you know, the older fan or the fan that was a big ROH fan Already knew, and uh, we don't have to use head cannon. They make it part of the cannon, and I love that about this company. It's 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 honestly, it's one of my favorite things about AEW. So, um, Dutt says that in New Orleans, Jay Lethal and and himself are going to have something for Joe. And Joe is just so great with the facial expressions. He's just like during Max Caster's rap, he's just like. You know, every time Caster got him with a zinger, Joe would just like, eh, all right. Like, just look on his face like, eh, all right, you little shit. All right, I'm injury prone. All right, wait till I get you in this ring. I'm going to muscle buster you through the ring. Then call me injury prone. Then tell me that you beat me in the ratings when I was the other show's champion. It really was a good rap. And his facial expressions here. We're like, oh, we have something for you in New Orleans. As Joe's like, whatever, man. Shrugs his shoulders. Leaves the ring. Joe is one of these guys, a lot like Jay Briscoe. A lot like Eddie Kingston. Where you just buy him. I buy that Samoa Joe could whoop my ass with minimal effort. I buy it. I buy that that, that Jay Briscoe, if I rubbed him the wrong way, uh, would murder me with his bare hands. I buy it. I buy into that. Um, you know, when Eddie Kingston tells Chris Jericho that it's on site, I, I believe that he's going to maul Chris Jericho on site. And Joe just is one of those guys that has that quality. New Jack had that. Bruiser Brody had that. And, you know, not every pro wrestler, not even every tough guy pro wrestler possesses that. Joe possesses it. We had Shivani with the uh, Blackpool Combat Club. And Regal presented, uh, laid out the, uh, the the next match for each man. Brian Danielson will be taking on Trent on Dynamite next week. And John Moxley will be taking on Wheeler, Utah on Rampage this week. And all of the live reports I've seen and people I've talked to who were there said that this is a must-see match. And... There is talk internally in the company that a star was made in Wheeler, Utah. And I think Tony Khan, after the show, told the live crowd that as well. You guys just made a star tonight. So it sounds like Moxley, Utah is a match that you have to go out of your way to see. So I'm really looking forward to that. We had Sean Spears versus the captain, Sean Dean, MJF on commentary. This was another setup for the Wardlaw. He gets into the building. He is just destroying the security guards. 
This was just tremendous stuff. The Wardlaw came across like vintage Goldberg here, just tossing guys around. MJF's going crazy on commentary, screaming that somebody better stop this guy. While all this is happening, Sean Spears is distracted, so the captain rolls him up and scores the pinfall, which means Sean Dean has now defeated both MJF and Sean Spears. Guy has four wins this year. Two of them are against MJF and Spears. So he wins during all the commotion. Good for the captain. And then we'd have follow-up on this a couple of minutes later. Next, we had Tony Schiavone with the best friends. And Chuck Taylor is trying he's, – uh, he's telling Wheeler, Utah that, look, we all love you, man. You know, it's uh, – we love, and then Trent cuts him off and he says, I don't love you. I think you're a scumbag and a traitor. Trent is still upset that Wheeler went back into the ring to acknowledge William Regal a few weeks ago. So uh, there's still all of this tension between Trent – and, uh, and Yuta. And Trent says he's going to show Wheeler how it's done when he wrestles Brian Danielson next week on Dynamite. So, um, Next up, we have Proud and Powerful and Eddie Kingston. They are jumping the Jericho Appreciation Squad in the back, beating the living shit out of them. Uh, the Jericho gang take a powder to the outside into a waiting vehicle driven by Jake Hagar. And they hightail it out of there. Kingston and the gang head into the ring and cut a tremendous promo where he says, when I see you all, you guys, it is on site. That means the next time I see you, Chris Jericho, I am going to kick your ass. The next time I see you, Matt Martell or whatever his name is in this company, I'm going to kick your ass. He says, Garcia, I know where you live. I'm going to come to your house and kick your ass. So this was just the typical tremendous stuff from Eddie Kingston. And he says next week in New Orleans, he's going to do it junkyard dog butch read style. So, of course, Eddie Kingston with the nod to history. The tape nerd that he is. And you got to appreciate that. That got a big pop out of Jim Ross, too. Cranky old Jim Ross enjoyed that. We had a hook pre-tape of him blowing off the Danhausen spell a few weeks ago. Are we going to get Hook versus Danhausen? I really hope we do. That could be very entertaining. Look, I enjoy Danhausen in this role. The problem with Danhausen comes when you overpush him. He's very entertaining otherwise. Shivani is with Jade Carghill. She comes out and um, they're talking about Marina Shafir, who's calling herself the problem. Carghill is annoyed by this and she says, I'm the problem solver. Look, I talked about it last week. I am not confident that this match will go well. I Look, you can talk about Shafir and her matches on Dark all you want. I, look, I am not, I've yet to be impressed by her in the ring. Um, I'm, I'm not digging my heels in. I'm willing to be proved wrong here. But, you know, we all know Jade is, is green as grass as well. So, uh, no pun intended. So, this could be uh, messy. So we'll see what happens when Jade and Marina Shafir get in there. We have Alex Marvez. He's with MJF and Spears. This was the follow-up to what we saw earlier. MJF challenges Sean Dean. He's had enough of this shit. So he wants another crack at Sean Dean. And uh, they both talk shit on the ward law, call him Piggy and everything else. So, Next up, Butcher and the Blade versus the Hardys in a tables match. 
And uh, I have to tell you, you know, you, you, the listener, may have enjoyed this more than me. I cannot get into the Hardys. I have no interest in this. I really don't give a shit about Jeff Hardy. And, you know, I shouldn't say that. I'm pretty indifferent on Jeff Hardy. But I truly don't give a single shit about Matt Hardy. Never have, never will. I don't think I've ever cared about Matt Hardy. I just, I can't get into him. And I can't get into this, you know, Matt Hardy wearing his Junko jeans from 1997 and the Hardys out there at, you know, pushing 50 doing the act they were doing when they were 22. I just, I can't get into it. I'm just not a Matt Hardy guy and never was. At any point in his career, was I a Matt Hardy guy? Never. So... This was a tables match. I didn't really understand the rules. A man went through the table, but the match didn't end. So I guess it was, you have to put both members of the team through the table. And I'm just like, just get this over with. We all know the Hardys are winning. And I just have no interest in this. And the Hardys did win, eventually. When both men, when they put both men through the table, I think. I don't know. Whatever. Um, Andrade came out. Sting came out. Big face off. Look, these Hardy segments are never going to work for me. I don't know. Christian's with the Jurassic Express. He's mad that he lost. He throws something and walks off. So Christian's about to snap. Couldn't come a moment too soon. Waiting on this Christian Jungle Boy feud we're inevitably getting. Uh, Jurassic Express cuts a promo on Red Dragon. They say, hey, look, you guys have been champions everywhere. But here... The wins and losses matter. And you're not championship. You don't have a championship record. You're not ranked. But we don't like you. And your nose is in our business. So we'll give you a title shot. How about that? So next Wednesday, Red Dragon, Jungle Express, tag team titles at the behest of the champions. And I like that. I like the idea, and we've seen this before in this company, of a champion calling out a challenger and demanding to get their hands on them in the ring. I have no problem with that, bypassing the rankings in those circumstances, especially when it's a babyface champion. We are told that we are getting Thunder Rosa and Nyla Rose at Battle of the Belts 2 on April 16th. There's a nice surprise. It's going to be a big week for AEW. Okay? They're going to have a big show, a big dynamite on Wednesday with all the matches they set up tonight. Tag title match, Brian Danielson versus Trent. Then on Friday, the Hangman's going to defend the title against Adam Cole in the Texas Death Match. And then the next day, Battle of the Belts too. So it's going to be a big week for AEW next week. Looking forward to it. I'm into this. Jamie Hayter and Tony Storm have a face-off in the back with Tony Schiavone. No problem with that match. This is what I've been talking about the last month or so. Maybe longer than that. Less Layla Hirsch on my TV. More Jamie Hayter. And Tony Storm. And Serena Deeb. And Sheeta. And the women that are good that can go. Less Bunny. Less Layla Hirsch. More of these people. Jamie Hayter, Tony Storm. Let's do it. 
So Jamie Hayter, no, not Jamie Hayter, Julia Hart took on Sheeta. This was for a spot in the Owen. Ladies and gentlemen, Sheeta has won with the Falcon Arrow. How many times have I come on here for the Thursday TV reviews and screamed and yelled about Sheeta hitting the Falcon Arrow? You know the Sheeta match cannot end until she gets a near fall on the Falcon Arrow. It's the Matt Hardy side effect, remember? Or the uh, the Sami Zayn Blue Thunder Bomb. You go right down the line. Name your favorite wrestler. The match will not end until they get the near fall on that on their on their top signature move. And Sheeta hits the Falcon Arrow, and I'm like, oh, all right, here comes the cat. Whoa, she beat her. Yes. And Julia Hart is, you know, she's so low on the pecking order that that's someone who would get beat by the Falcon Arrow, which isn't able to put away your Britt Bakers or your Rehos or your, you know, whoever she's wrestled. Now, I can't remember. But the point here is Julia Hart is slotted in a place where she would lo- that this is these little things. It doesn't take much to make me happy as a wrestling fan. Beat a lower mid-carder with your signature move and have the upper mid-carders kick out of it every time and I'm happy. Serena Deeb comes out to confront Sheeta. I'm sure they'll face each other in the Owen at some point. I hope they do. And now we're cooking with some gas in this women's division. You give me Jamie Hayter, Tony Storm. You give me Sheeta, Serena Deeb. Those are matches I can sink my teeth into. Marvez is with Swerve. Swerve Strickland talking about how he was at the Grammys. Talking about last week on Rampage and his loss to Ricky Starks. And then he gets jumped by Starks and Hobbs. Keith Lee makes the save. They have another really good brawl. Keith Lee knocks Hobbs through a wall. Or it may have been Starks. You know who I've been really impressed with over the last month or so? Will Hobbs. He is really coming along. Will Hobbs. In every way. Bell to bell. He's doing his best work yet. His look... His gear, his hair, his massive body, his facial expressions. Watch Will Hobbs while Ricky Starks is cutting a promo. Watch Will Hobbs in the ring. And his facials. And his promos. More confidence on the microphone. Will Hobbs is coming along very nicely. There was a time where I was like, eh, you know, I kind of like Will Hobbs, but there's a ceiling there. Maybe a nice guy to have on the roster. Now I'm like, you know, that ceiling has been raised. This is why it pays to be patient sometimes with these people. 
you know, let's talk about Braun Breaker for a bit, you know, and I, and I know that that has nothing to do with Dynamite, but, it, you know, it got me to thinking. We saw Braun Breaker lose at Stand and Deliver to Dolph Ziggler, and I've been critical of Braun Breaker. I, I don't see him as a lock to become a major star in WWE like a lot of other people do. I obviously see the potential, and I see the upside. But I think there's a lot of potential roadblocks there for Braun Breaker as well. Uh, he's 20 matches into his career. He His charisma evaporates during the meat of the match. In other words, he has great physical charisma when he's standing in the ring or cutting a promo or doing a pre-tape. But that kind of evaporates in the ring, and that's to be expected. He's a literal rookie. He doesn't know how to carry that uh, confidence into the ring during the match because he's probably so concerned with performing well because he's only at 20 matches. We saw that again this weekend. And then I thought it was a really bad sign when he came out on Raw for the rematch where he won the title and nobody knew who he was or gave a fuck about him. Now look, we know nobody watches NXT 2.0 except the hardest of the hardcore. And that's not what these Raw After Mania crowds are anymore. The international fans who are the super fans who will fly across the world and spend $8,000 to go to... They don't come anymore. WWE has ran those people off. Your super hardcore wrestling fan that goes to 19 shows, WrestleMania... They don't go to WrestleMania. They don't go to Raw After WrestleMania anymore. You don't get those vibrant, fun crowds... That boo Roman Reigns out of the building or, you know, cheer Cesaro when they're not supposed to. That doesn't happen anymore. You know, the, and, 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 and that crowd on Monday didn't know who Braun Breaker was. They had no clue. And he didn't get over in the short match that he had where he won the title from Dolph Ziggler. And then in even a worse sign on Tuesday night on NXT, he comes out for his victory promo. And the NXT fans who do know who he is, where he should be over, are chanting for Dolph Ziggler. And these are not main roster fans who don't know who the guy is. These are NXT fans who are there every week. And they're chanting for Dolph Ziggler. Don't say, I didn't warn you. When I told everyone not so fast with Braun Breaker, pump the brakes. This might not be the lock you think it is. Now listen, he has a whole career in front of him. Who knows? But it's too much too soon, and he isn't getting over. NXT's ratings haven't moved. You'd think by now, your toxic attractions... Your Braun Breakers, they'd start getting over by now. But it hasn't happened. This guy bombed in front of two different crowds this week on TV. His quarters never pop a number. It's too much too soon. And how does this relate to Will Hobbs? I think AEW does a good job taking these young wrestlers and bringing them along slowly. 
resisting the temptation to take a guy who looks like Will Hobbs and immediately push him to the moon before he's ready. And then you could set back his career if you expose these people before they're ready. But we've seen this slow climb for Hobbs where he was like the fourth guy in Team Taz. You know, Brian Cage, first Taz did all the talking and Brian Cage was, you know, even they didn't even let Ricky Starks talk at first. And he's a guy who knew how to talk when he got, when he, you know, as soon as they signed him. So you get Cage out of the picture. Then Ricky Starks, you know, got, got a chance to talk more. Because now Taz never, those guys are, they never even have Taz with them anymore at this point. Starks does all the talking. And Will Hobbs gets to cut some promos. Well, Hobbs gets to work on the YouTube shows and figure out what he needs to be bell to bell and work on his look and work on his facial expressions and work with the coaches and you know learn from Ricky Starks and learn from Taz. So there's something to be said for bringing people along slowly. And it's not to say if you rat rocket strap the right guy, it won't work. It worked for, you know, historically there's examples of that too. Look at Goldberg. Look at Jade Cargill. Jade Cargill did get over. Braun Breaker has not. And I don't think Will, ha- Will Hobbs would have either if they gave him the Braun Breaker push right out of the gate. So you start with Brian Cage. And now it's Ricky Starks, and one day it'll be Hobbs. He's really impressed me over the last month or so. And I feel like they might have something with him. FTR and the Bucks for the AAA and ROH titles. I do want to say this. When it comes to the Jurassic Express... I know they're the AEW World Tag Team Champions, but they don't feel like the most important team in the company as the champions. I mean, just look here. I mean, th- this the, the tag division right now is, you know, built around FTR, not the Jurassic Express. It, look, look. Th- this match felt like the most important tag team match on Dynamite in a long time. And... I, I know that they're high on the Jungle Boy, and I, I know that this is an important title reign for them from that standpoint. But what felt more important to you, FTR Bucks tonight or Jurassic Express Red Dragon next week? It's not even close. So, you know, I'm not saying that's an indictment of Jungle Boy. Don't worry about the fucking dinosaur, man. He doesn't matter here. But, but you know, it does say something. And they've got three sets of tag team titles floating around this company right now. And FTR knocked it out of the park again. This wasn't as good as the Briscoes match. But this was an easy notebook match. And as far as the Young Bucks go, you know, uh, every now and then, this Young Bucks versus Usos comparison will bubble to the surface. Right? And uh, I don't understand... How anyone can choose the Usos. I don't get it. The Usos are immensely talented. And I think they can be. um, Every bit. As. 
good as the other top tag teams in wrestling if they were put in those positions. And in their company, they simply aren't. But we have to assess what we see. I can't work in hypotheticals. And if you're comparing the Young Bucks to the Usos, I, I, I just can't see an argument for the, the The Young Bucks, every fourth or fifth match or so, have a match of the year contender. They shit them out the way I shit out fucking Buffalo Wings. You know, you know, after a night of fucking, you know, eating wings and down in Coke Z's. And then I spend 18 minutes on the toilet. 17 minutes later. That's what the Bucks do with match of the year. They just shit them out. If they're put in a position to have a big match, chances are it's going to be great. And then there's a chance it's going to be a match of the year contender. They have several every year. And like they just had tonight, another great match. It's just so we just, you expect it. Now ask yourself this, when's the last time the Usos had a truly great match? Not a nice little TV match. Not a great, you know, a good performance in a, a three-star match. No, when is the last, think about this. When is the last time the Usos had a truly great match? Where you said, that was the best match on the show, that's one of the best matches I've seen this year. That's a match of the year contender. When's the last time the Usos have done that? The Bucks do it once a month. What, what is this debate? It's not even close. Now, if you put the Usos in this company, and they're wrestling FTR, and they're, and they're given 25 minutes, or they're wrestling the Bucks on a pay-per-view, or... You know, they're wrestling the, 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 the Jungle Boy and the Dinosaur and, and having a spot fest with those guys. Or, you know, go right down the line. Are the Usos capable of that? Yeah, I think they are. But the fact is, they, do, they don't produce that in the environment that they're in. And that's all I could judge them by. I can't work off hypotheticals. I don't care whether Babe Ruth could hit pitching a hundred years later. I care that he hit the pitching that he competed against. That's all I can do. I'm not interested in hypotheticals. And these, you know, and, and these these debates that crop up every couple months, Young Bucks or Usos, what are we doing? What was the last time the Usos had a great match? A truly great match. Give me the match. You can't. New Day three years ago? I mean, when was it? Give me the match. Is the Usos' best match better than the Young Bucks' 10th best match? I mean, seriously. Probably not. Is the Usos' best match better than any of the Young Bucks' Fifth best match in any given year over the last five years. The Usos' best match all time. I don't know. It might not be.
So this was great. And this FTR babyface run is going phenomenally, obviously. With matches of this caliber, like four days apart. I mean, just fantastic. The only problem, as I said, is it feels like the Jungle Express is, you know, not even close to being the most important thing in the company from a tag team standpoint. That's all. Is it a huge deal? No, but it's it's something that should be noted. So, and we'll see what happens with the Briscoes. And we'll see what happens with ROH. I mean, you know, I, Time Warner can't step in, and I wouldn't think if, you know, the Briscoes are working ROH shows that aren't on their, you know, that have nothing to do with, with Turner, but... As Khan talked about in the scrum, those things all have to be worked out. You know, he had to get permission from Time Warner just to run Supercard of Honor. He had to assure them that he wasn't going to do a backdoor AEW show. Because, listen, they're paying almost $50 million a year for AEW content. So, um, so we'll see. But that's a, that's a conversation for another day. But, look, it was a good dynamite. You know, you have a main event of that caliber. And I'm sure most of you were into the Hardys thing more than I was. And then the rest of the show was very good in terms of, you know, pushing storylines forward and big matches coming up and it promos. It was a very good Dynamite. Dynamite's been very good for a number of weeks now. So uh, that's your Dynamite review. And as I said, uh, if you want to hear me review Dynamite every week in addition to breaking down the ratings, and uh, soon I'm sure we'll get a second television show in the mix then uh, you can get that on the $5 tier. Patreon.com slash slash Voices of Wrestling. And I will be right back with segment number three. All right, what do we got? We got HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh delivers pre-portioned ingredients to your door, including farm-fresh produce that arrives within a week, so you get convenience without skimping on quality. Skip the trip to the grocery store, saving you the wait in long lines and ensuring you don't waste money on excess food. Don't forget dessert. Satisfy your sweet tooth with seasonal, limited-time goodies like Dunkaroo's cookie, go, uh, cookie Dough or Vanilla Delight Cheesecake. HelloFresh offers 50 menu and market items to choose from every week, including veggie, calorie-smart, family-friendly, and gourmet options providing plenty of variety. Recipes like hibachi sweet soy, bavette steak, and shrimp Bring restaurant-quality meals right to your kitchen while their white cheddar Wonder Burgers make it easier than ever to skip the takeout. I know I love using HelloFresh because it saves me so much time. And I have lots of favorite recipes, including the white cheddar Wonder Burger. Go to HelloFresh.com VOW16 and use code VOW16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. That's go to HelloFresh.com slash VOW16. 
Use code VOW16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. All right, so let's talk about some Puro. Why don't we do that? I got a couple different topics I want to get to. First, we got to talk some New Japan. New Japan has a big show coming up on the 9th. So about half of you will hear this show before Hyper Battle takes place. The other half will hear this show after. But I wanted to go over this lineup. This, of course, is in uh, Sumo Hall. And the headline match, of course, is Kazuchika Okada against the New Japan Cup winner, Zack Sabre Jr. And, you know, it's as I wrote about behind the paywall uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, after we uh, did a, a news update talking about the fallout from the New Japan Cup and Zack Sabre Jr.'s New Japan Cup win. Look, they've got Okada versus Naito on the books in a dome coming up after this uh, title match. So it's highly doubtful that they would do a title switch here because they feel like they need Okada Naito to fill up the dome, which is going to be uh, their next big show. Uh, So I would put this at about a 90 to 95% chance that Okada is going to retain against Zack Sabre Jr. The only reason I wouldn't put it at 100% is because when injuries affect the booking plans in these companies, and, and sometimes New Japan as well, then sometimes it throws things all off kilter and and they do things that they weren't planning on doing. Do I think Zack Sabre Jr. is going to win this match? I do not. Do I think it's impossible now? I don't. Because Kota Ibushi was originally supposed to be the New Japan Cup winner. And you can read all the details behind the paywall on the $5 tier, the last New Japan news update. I'm not going to go over all of it here. Uh, but the bottom line is Ibushi was supposed to win this tournament. He wasn't medically cleared in time. They went with Zack Sabre Jr. instead. And then the plan from there was going to be Okada beats Ibushi on this show, which is also a big show. And then Okada takes on Naito in a Dome main event on their next big show, which would be set up by Naito defeating Okada in the New Japan Cup semifinal. So I still think they're going to follow that plan. The only reason I give Zack Sabre Jr. any semblance of a chance is because this was not the original planned match. And maybe if Kota Ibushi gets medically cleared in time for the Dome, maybe they feel like Kota Ibushi's big return and potentially challenging Zack Sabre Jr. for the title will be enough to sell tickets to that show without burning off Okada Naito again. But again, I think there's a remote chance of that. I think they're just going to stick with the plan, go with Okada Naito, and if they can get Ibushi back for that show, they get him back. And, you know, maybe they give him a match on that show somewhere. You know, it's it can't hurt. Uh, but that's why I give it a sliver of hope because sometimes injuries throw these bookers into a tizzy and they do crazy things. And, and the return of Ibushi will legitimately be a big deal, so you never know, but... Uh, still the smart money would be on Okada, and I would still consider Zack Sabre Jr. a major, major long shot to win this match. But if you want to suspend disbelief when you're watching the show and you want to convince yourself that you could have a title change, uh, you know, that that's how I would play it in, in my mind. 
we've got show def- uh, uh, challenging for the junior title against El Desperado, a match that we reported uh, months ago would uh, would be taking place on this show. So, um, again, $5 tier for our New Japan and Pearl uh, news updates that we do about once a month. We're really the only outlet reporting accurate news out of Japan these days. Uh, you know, so uh, if you're into the, uh, uh, the Japanese dirt, we're really the place to go uh, right now. But uh, at any rate, we knew, we told you guys this match was happening a couple of months back. And I think Sho has a legitimate chance to win the title here. You know, the, the House of Torture push is not going to stop. And now we've got the Bullet Club Wars that are going on between all of the factions. And again, you can get all those details behind the paywall as well. Um, so I think it would make sense to put the title on Sho here. Uh, I think Despy doesn't have, you know, this will be his third defense, I believe. So, you know, he's had himself a, a, a nice little title reign here, but I think that there's more interesting things that they can do with show holding that title with all the Bullet Club um, sort of uh, interfaction warring that will be going on in the coming months. So, and I, and, I, and I don't think this is a good time for show to lose either for that reason, whereas Despy, I think, can eat a loss right now. Now, I wouldn't expect a great match because you're without question going to get Bullet Club, House of Torture bullshit down the stretch of this match. And I believe Sho will win, and I believe he will cheat to win. So if you're thinking you're going to get some great, you know, Desperado show match, you're not going to get that. Okay, you're not going to get that either way, no matter who wins, unfortunately. That's just the way things are now with House of Torture, and, and you know, it's it's been that way since they formed, and... Um, Nothing's going to change here. So I, I would expect a disappointing semi-main event if you're someone who's not into outside interference and Western-style heel shenanigans because that's what you're going to get. If you like that stuff, well, I don't know. I guess uh, you'll, you'll probably enjoy that match. Hiroki Goto and Yoshihashi defend the tag team titles against Great Okan and Jeff Cobb. I think this is a good spot for a title change too. I really do. Jeff Cobb and Okan have both been booked very well. Okan was actually in consideration to be the replacement winner for New Japan Cup, but uh, obviously it didn't turn out that way, and they they went with Zack Sabre Jr., but Okan was considered for the spot. Okan is going to continue to be pushed as a singles wrestler. He's going to continue to to pick up uh, lots of singles wins because they are preparing him for some point late 2022, early 2023, Certainly by, you know, the midpoint of 2023, he's going to be a legitimate uh, main event guy in this company. And I know a lot of people don't like Okan's wrestling style. I happen to be a fan. But that push is coming. And it almost came now as they almost chose him as the replacement for Ibushi to win the New Japan Cup before ultimately going with Sabre. So uh, I think Okan and Cobb winning the tag team titles would be beneficial in both uh, continuing Okan's push right? Continuing booking Cobb strong. And, you know, the, the Yoshihashi Hiroki Goto thing, you know, the, they were good champions to get them through that, that feud that they were having with House of Torture. But now that that's kind of in the rear view and House of Torture have moved on to, to feuding with their, with uh, other factions and the Bullet Club Wars, I think it's time to move on from Goto and Yoshihashi. So I can definitely see Okan and Cobb winning this and United Empire when they finally get all those guys together, and it looks like they're going to be working together a lot, 
in the United States coming up. But when they finally get all those guys together in Japan, you know, that faction is in for a monster push um, as well. So I see a title change there. I think you're going to see two title changes with the junior title and the tag team titles. And I think Okada is going to retain. As far as the never title goes, I think they did a good job setting up the Hiromu versus Evil match. Hiromu beat a bunch of heavyweights in the New Japan Cup. And they shot a couple of different angles with Hiromu and Evil. With Evil choking out Hiromu. Well, uh, Togo choking out Hiromu with the groat wire while Evil uh, taunted him. And then the next night, uh, following Evil's match, Hiromu stole the never title. So, I don't see a title change here. But Hiromu Evil is one of these long-term feuds in New Japan where I don't think they're going to pay it off yet. Hiromu has a, uh, a a major beef with Evil. You remember him basically going insane when Evil turned against LIJ. So this is a long-term story they're telling. And I think this is another step. I don't see Hiromu beating Evil yet for a championship. I think that'll happen at some point down the line. I think they're going to save that as kind of a big moment. And I don't think that moment is coming now. So I think Evil will retain. Toru Yano, he defends the King of Pro Wrestling gimmick against Taichi. And I still don't know if a stipulation... Has a stipulation been named for this? I don't know. I'll try to get back to that. The junior tag titles. A lot of title matches here. There's a major show. It's Sumo Hall. Master Wato and Taguchi. And they will defend against El Phantasmo and Taiji Ishimori. To me, this is a coin flip. It's a coin flip. Wato and Taguchi just won the titles. This would be their first defense. But when it comes to the junior tag team titles, those titles can change hands anytime. It really doesn't matter. And it's been that way for a long time. So it's just that the whims of the bookers, if they want to do something interesting on the undercard and do a title switch, uh, I could see Phantasmo and Ishimori winning this and then defending against this very same team in the uh, in, 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 in on the on the Dome show, which follows this. So, um, you know, who knows? That's a coin flip match to me. We've got Shingo and Tetsuya Naito versus Hanare and Will Ospreay. Uh, no titles at stake there. That just looks like a really cool match on paper. So, Hanare is obviously eating a pin from someone. Probably Naito, since he presumably... We'll be getting the next title shot. And then uh, the opener. Uh, Jado, Tangaloa, Tamatanga, and Hiroshi Tanahashi. Very weird. Those guys. Uh, Jado, the, the Gorillas of Destiny uh, sort of have split off. And they're kind of being positioned as baby faces. So they're teaming with Tanahashi here. And they're facing Gato, Yujiro, Takahashi, Chase Owens, and Bad Luck Fale. So uh, Jado and Gato opposite sides. And Gorillas of Destiny working with the babyface Tanahashi here against their former uh, Bullet, Bullet Club comrades in this one in the opener. So uh, very weird to see Tanahashi teaming with those guys. And then it's off to the Fukuoka Dome, which is what I've been talking about. That'll be on May 1st. Wrestling Dantaku is at the Fukuoka Dome this year. So... Um, you know, I expect it to be Naito Okada. I don't think they're going to change up their plans as far as that is concerned. But um, I guess we'll have to uh, to wait and see. But I-, I would love to tell you that Zack Sabre Jr. has more of a chance. 
just to make things more interesting. But um, I, I just can't see it. I, I, I think Okada Naito, even though it'll be the third time this year, I, I think that's the safe play for a building of that size. So uh, there's a couple shows coming up in the U.S. There's a New Japan Strong taping in California. And I was looking at that lineup earlier today. Uh, Kevin Blackwood's going to get a shot on that one. He's working that show. It'll be Keita Murray and Yuya Uemura versus Kevin Blackwood and Lucas Riley uh, on that taping. And then, really, you know, Mascara Dorada is going to work the taping. Tyler, uh, Taylor Rust is back. Uh, Brody King is working the tapings as well. Actually, all three of those guys are teaming together and they're facing TJP, Hanare, and the Great Okan. This show is going to be on uh, April 10th. In California, it's it's you know a lot of the guys that are scheduled for this taping are working the Sumo Hall show on April 9th in, in Tokyo, so it's a pretty quick turnaround for a lot of these dudes uh, to then fly to California and, and, and do a TV taping for Strong. Alex Zane and Christopher Daniels against Chris Bay and El Fantasmo. Uh, what what I'm interested in is if they do any of the Bullet Club War stuff on the Strong tapings, which I was told you could expect to see some of that stuff across New Japan Strong, New Japan Proper, obviously, even Impact Wrestling with the Good Brothers and Jay White, um, and even possibly AEW with the elites kind of being weaved into the story as well. Aaron Solo and Nick Camarado versus Carl Fredericks and Clark Connors. So... QT Marshall's boys, and I think he's appearing at the taping as well. So we're seeing, you know, some AEW New Japan stuff here, which will be interesting. Tomohiro Ishii versus Big Demo. That looks like it could be a real interesting match. I know Demo worked a couple matches WrestleMania weekend, so he's getting back in the mix. Kevin Knight, the DKC, and Fred Yehai against Bateman, Mysterioso, and Barrett Brown. I saw Barrett Brown against Minoru Suzuki. On the VIP show in Dallas, which was the final show of WrestleMania weekend, the final match of WrestleMania weekend, was Barrett Brown versus Minoru Suzuki. So he had a big opportunity there against Suzuki. And um, and they had a pretty decent match. You know, they, they did the Suzuki formula match that he does when he comes to the U.S. Rocky Romero, Alex Coughlin, and Adrian Quest versus J.R. Kratos, Black Tiger, and Danny Limelight. So, uh... Kid Fuego, who does not play, back in the mix for New Japan Strong with Adrian Quest. Hikuleo is the US of J challenger that night against Jay White. And that's the one you want to circle to see if they're going to do some Bullet Club stuff on this taping. Okay, because you got Hikuleo in there against Jay White. And the obvious speculation is that Hikuleo is going to, you know, side with, um, with his brothers and with the Gorillas of Destiny. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see if they do an angle. There's a handicap match with Fred Rosser against Royce Isaacs and Jarrell Jarrell Nelson. So two members of Team Filthy against Fred Rosser. You don't often see handicap matches in New Japan, but you're going to get one there. David Finley versus Blake Christian. That could be really good. I love Blake Christian's work in New Japan. I think he does his best work when he works New Japan strong. And then uh, Ren Narita versus Chris Dickinson. So uh, Chris Dickinson just had a really, really great match with Tomohiro Ishii 
uh, during the main event portion of the uh, New Japan show in Dallas. They also taped two matches for Strong, but for the pay-per-view portion, the main event was Dickinson versus Ishii, and I really enjoyed that. And I'm sure Dickinson will have a really good match with Ren Narita as well. So, look, that's a big taping. That's a big taping with a lot of interesting stuff. So that'll be April 10th in L.A. And then April 16th, of course, is Windy City Riot. So um, that's already sold out. That's Chicago. That's Will Ospreay versus Moxley. So this is... uh, this is going to you know, feel like a big-time show because you're going to have a packed house. Every ticket is sold, and that's a huge main event. Underneath, 10-man tag, Fred Rosser, Josh Alexander, Alex Coughlin, Ren Narita, and Chris Dickinson against Royce Isaacs, Jarrell Nelson, J.R. Kratos, Black Tiger, and, uh, and Danny Limelight. So, you know, the one thing watching the New Japan uh, show WrestleMania weekend was it wasn't a great lineup. The main event was Ishii versus Dickinson. And, you know, that's not a true New Japan main event. And it was only a five-match show. Uh, There was a surprise Moxley promo. He cut a promo on Osprey. But in terms of the wrestling on that show, though, and it wasn't a big-time New Japan show, after watching a lot of the independent stuff that weekend, particularly from the collective, the New Japan stuff was just like, whoa, this is like... Yeah, the, the, this is good. This is great work. Like, it, it just struck me how I was like, oh, okay, this is Major League Pro Wrestling. Up and down the five-match card. It was like, this is such a drastic difference from watching fucking Shazza McKenzie. Like, you know, it's just... So, you know, even like these 10-man tags and stuff, it's just, you know, the level of wrestling is just so good in New Japan, even even on these U.S. shows. Uh, there's a U.S. of J Open Challenge, so we'll see who that is. Tom- Tomohiro Ishii versus Minoru Suzuki, which they set up in Dallas. Uh, Filthy Tom Lawlor versus uh, Yuji Nagata. That could be a very interesting match. There's a 12-man tag with uh, United Empire. Everybody except Osprey. So Hanare, Jeff Cobb, Great Okan, TJP, and Aussie Open against a uh, Bullet Club team. El Fantasmo, Hikuleo, Chris Bay, Carl Anderson, Doc Gallows. Remember, Impact's going to be in the mix with these Bullet Club wars with Chris Bay and, 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 and the Good Brothers and Jay White working Impact. And Scott Norton teaming with those guys. So... Um, that's going to be a lot of fun uh, to see Scott Norton. I mean, you know, you're not going to get a five-star classic out of Scott Norton these days, but, you know, just see him in there interacting with these younger wrestlers he's never interacted with. Chicago Street Fight, no time limit. Uh, Finn Juice and Brody King against TMDK and Bad Dude Tito. Jonah and Shane Haste are the TMDK members in this case. Uh, no sign of Mad Mikey Nichols. And then they'll be teaming with Bad Dude Tito. So we get a little Kid Fuego who does not play on the uh, on the television taping. And then some Bad Dude Tito in Chicago as we get some throwbacks to the old uh, Monday TV reviews I used to do with Championship Wrestling from Hollywood and some of those names. But uh, that's a fun, eclectic-looking card with more Japanese talent than you would think. 
now that you know travel's getting a little easier and whatnot, the whole United Empires together, we're getting a little bit of uh, Aussie Open in the mix with with United Empire. And you know, I had people arguing with me that United Empire weren't going to be part of Aussie Open, and it was just a Rev Pro angle. And and uh, and and you know, when are people going to start listening to me when it comes to the New Japan scoops? Uh, how often do I have to be right? Really is unbelievable. Um, and then everybody returns to Japan for the uh, Golden Fight series after the Windy City Riot show. So, um, so that's what's coming up for New Japan. They got a, a, a big couple of weeks here between Hyper Battle and then the Strong Tapings and Windy City Riot. And actually, there is a uh, United States Strong Style Evolve show in Florida the same day as the Hyper Battle show in Sumo Hall. Okay, so uh, we may as well talk about that one too. This is in Saint, is in Tampa at the St. Petersburg Coliseum. Jeff Cobb and Aussie Open against Bad Dude Tito, Jonah, and Shane Haste. Chris Sabin versus Jay White. Fred Rosser and Eddie Edwards against Fred Yehai and Daniel Garcia. That looks like a really fun tag. Carl Fredericks versus Josh Alexander. Andy Brown versus Hikuleo. So a little five-match card in in uh, St. Petersburg this Saturday on the 9th, which again, so New Japan having two shows on the same day on two different continents leading up to, uh, leading up to uh, Strong and Windy City Riot in the U.S. the, the following uh, New Japan Strong show the next day on Sunday and then Windy City Riot the next week. So anyway, that's what's going on in New Japan. And next week, Rich and I will review the Hyper Battle show from Sumo Hall and maybe talk about um, some of these U.S. shows too if, if there's anything newsworthy that occurs. So that's your New Japan update. So let's transition to All Japan because I want to talk about the Champion Carnival, which also starts on the 9th. So on April 9th, this is uh, – well, actually, no, the two New Japan shows. Yeah, so you'll have two New Japan shows, one in the U.S. and then the uh, Sumo Hall show on the 9th. And then also the Champion Carnival starts on the 9th. So there's a lot going on on Saturday the 9th uh, this weekend. So – Two blocks, we got the A block and the B block. These are six-man blocks, so it's a 12-man tournament altogether for this year's Champion Carnival. And it's a pretty good lineup. And, of course, Kento Miyahara is the coming in as the Triple Crown Champion. Jake Lee uh, finally won the Triple Crown. He got injured. He had to vacate the title. They went to Kento. So Kento enters this tournament as the Triple Crown Champion. He's in the B block. Let's talk about the A block first. Jake Lee, Suji Ishikawa, Shotaro Ashino, Ryuki Honda, uh, Shigehiro Iri, and T-Hawk. Okay? So just eyeballing that. Any match with Jake Lee is going to be interesting because he's back. And I would say he's the odds-on favorite to win this tournament, right? Because you would think that they'll want to get him back into a, a Triple Crown title match against Kento Miyahara. Um to see if he could win that title back. But, you know, he's he's got to, you know, it, really his only roadblock here is Ishikawa. I can't see any of these other people being serious contenders to win the tournament. Now, could they put maybe an Ashino through 
to a final if, you know, someone from the B block is going to win the tournament? I guess so. But I see Lee coming out of the block or, or maybe, you know, because he's been injured, possibly could they do a gimmick where um, because he's coming off the injury, he's, he's, he's not exactly fresh and maybe for that reason. But, but the thing is, like, he's, he's, he's back. Like, he's wrestled some matches. So it's not as if he's the, – these champion carnival matches are his return. He's, he's done some tags. Um, so, you know, I don't want to overthink this one. I think he'll win the block, and, and to me he's the favorite to win the tournament. The B block, Kento Miyahara, Suwama, Yoshitatsu, Yuma Aoyagi, Kuma Arashi, and Takuya Nomura, which is a very interesting name. Now, looking at the two blocks, I'm trying to... So, Nomura's never been in a champion carnival. T-Hawk has never been in a champion carnival. I don't think Erie has ever been in a champion carnival. And I'd have to look up... Let me look up Honda. He's the other one. And Honda has never been in a champion. So I think we have four first-time champion carnival participants. What about Kuma? I think Arashi's been in one. I think Kuma Arashi has been in one. Let me double-check. But I uh, Kuma Arashi. <clears throat> yeah, he was in the carnival last year. That's what I thought. So we have four first-timers. And there would be, let's see, so Erie, T-Hawk, and Honda. So three of them are in the A block. Honda, Erie, and T-Hawk. And Takuya Nomura, the first-timer in the B block. And obviously he's an outsider as well. T-Hawk is an outsider. So, um, you know, there's a couple outsiders here. There's four first-time guys. Looking at the matches, I would say... In the A block, I mean, T-Hawk versus just about any everybody there. But I, I especially would like to see T-Hawk versus Ashino. I think that's a fun match. T-Hawk versus Jake Lee. Really, T-Hawk versus anybody in the block is interesting to me. Uh, B block, Takuya Nomura, like T-Hawk, is the guy that you want to see wrestle a lot of these other dudes for the first time. Like, I think Takuya Nomura... Off the top of my head, I can't remember him having a match against Miyahara or Aoyagi, so those will be a lot of fun. Even Nomura versus Suwama will be a lot of fun. So um, those are kind of the matches I would circle. I would think that – I think Jake Lee will win. The question is, do they have him beat Miyahara in the final and then do an immediate rematch, or do they have Kento Miyahara get knocked off on the final night by whoever's going to face Jake Lee, right? And then have Jake Lee beat whoever knocks off Miyahara. That, to me, would be a tip-off that Miyahara is then going to successfully defend against Lee if he's the winner because then they have another match set up by whoever knocked him out of the B block. Um, I could be overthinking that, but to me, the simplest direct route here would be Jake Lee winning this tournament and telling sort of the comeback story with him 
attempting to come back from the injury and reclaim the title that he never lost in the ring. So I think that's what they'll do. Um, I'm glad that there there's no voodoo murder in the mix with this. Well, I guess um, technically, isn't Suwama part of voodoo murder right now? So I guess, um, but but you know, they didn't put any of the scummers in the tournament is what I'm saying. So I know Suwama's kind of been aligned with them, but you know, at least they didn't try to like sneak in a you know fucking Taru or something into this tournament. But um, I think Suwama. I don't know if he's an official member, but I you know he's been uh, teaming with the Voodoo Murder guys on some of the tours. Uh, you know, obviously he's got the tag team with Ashino, the Runaway Suplex, which is like the greatest name for a tag team, but. Let me take a look. All right, so I pulled up Suwama. He teamed with Voodoo Murder on the uh, 50th anniversary that that show in the Ota in the Ota City Gym where Miyahara defended against Ishikawa. Okay, Suwama teamed with the Voodoo Murder guys on that show, so that's where I saw him teaming with them. Um, and let's see. I think that might be it. So maybe he's not as aligned with them as I thought. But my point here was I'm glad that none of the scummers from Voodoo Murder uh, are involved with this tournament. So, because uh, I've got no interest in that. But as far as um, Miyahara goes, you know, they went back to him. When Lee was uh, was faced with the was stripped after he was he was injured, so Miyahara has I think one defense. I'm checking now. I think he defended on that 50th. No, he's got. Oh, I forgot the Abdullah Kobayashi. He kind of has that running feud going with Abdullah Kobayashi, and he did have a defense against Kobayashi and Cork and Hall in February. And then, of course, the match I just mentioned against Suji Ishikawa in the uh, Oda City Gym on that 50th anniversary tour gimmick. So he's got two defenses under his belt as he comes into this tournament. So, um, you know, I, I think it could there can be some really good stuff. I'm looking forward to seeing Nomura and T-Hawk. And, you know, I, I hope they do the Jake Lee Kento Miyahara final. I, I, I hope they don't get cute. And I hope they go with that. And, you know, obviously from there, it wouldn't make a ton of sense for Miyahara to win it. So the one downside to getting that match is you know Jake Lee's going to win, and then they're going to do the match again. So you're going to get two in a row, and you'll see if Jake Lee can reclaim that title. But uh, we'll keep an eye on the Champion Carnival. I'm sure next week Rich and I will uh, have an update, and we'll update it throughout. I know it does. It's a long tournament. You know, I, I don't think it ends till the middle of May or something like that. So... We keep an eye on the Champion Carnival. Uh, The last topic I wanted to get to before we wrap things up was, and actually this is going on as I speak, as I record this show, the Kness retirement show for Dragon Gate. So Kness is retiring as I speak. That show is happening. And, you know, Kness is a lot like Super Sisha in that he's, if you're a newer fan of Dragon Gate, you might not understand the importance of Kness. 
and Sisha as well, but we'll focus on Kness because you just see them as as like uh, guys in the pre-show match or the prelims working in a six or an eight-man tag, and um, you know Kness has not been pushed in ages. You know he's had a lot of injuries, and uh, but both of those guys are very vital to the history of of uh, of Dragon Gate, and there was a great episode of Open the Voice Gate that I just listened to uh, a day or so ago where they had Jay Church, and you all know Jay. He does the English commentary for Dragon Gate. And he's the, you know, he's the Garrett Kidney of Dragon Gate. You know, nobody probably on this planet, and at minimum, in terms of English speakers, know more about the history of Dragon Gate than Jay Church. Okay, he just... Jay Church may know more about Dragon Gate than any other human walking the planet knows about any other singular wrestling promotion. And he was a great guest for Iron Mike Spears and Case Lowe to have on to talk about the career of Kness because not only because Kness is retiring, but because Jay's favorite wrestler of all time is Kness. So he's passionate about the topic. He knows more about the topic than any living human. And the first hour, now it's not this week's Open the Voice Gate. It's it's last week's. Just look on their feed on your podcast catcher and look for the show where the, where, where Jay is the guest. And, they, and Jay does an hour on the career of Kness. And if you're someone who likes when Rich and I do our deep dives behind the paywall or our obituaries when a wrestler passes away. Like a lot of you really loved the Paul Orndorff obituary we did. And, you know, and, and, and some of the others when, when wrestlers have passed away where you really deep dive someone's career, I'm telling you, go listen to this episode of VoiceGate because you will learn so much about Kness. I learned so much about this man and his career from Jay. Um, who, you know, all, all kinds of interesting little nuggets, like, you know, how he started off, you know, he, he, he tried to get into some of the larger dojos in the mid nineties and they wouldn't take him cause he was such a little guy. And he ended up with the Mishinoku pro dojo. And I didn't know that he was a training partner of Taka Mishinoku in the early days. And basically he was Taka Mishinoku's, uh, training dummy. Or Taka would practice the Mishinoku driver over and over on this guy. And, um, you know, that had to be a shitty job uh, <laughs> to, to have as a young wrestler to get, uh, you know, Mishinoku drivered over and over by, uh, by Taka Mishinoku. And, and uh, another interesting tidbit was uh, early in his career, uh, and, and Kness in these days, uh, when, he, when he broke in with Mishinoku Pro, he was working as uh, Makato Saito. And, he wanted, he was going to make the moonsault his signature move. And uh, Taka talked him out of that. Taka Mishinoku said, Hey, look, if you want to do the moonsault and make that your thing, you have to think about the fact that you're going to have to do moonsaults every night for the next 20 years and what that's going to do to your knees. And that caused Saito to have a change of plans like he thought about that and Taka talked him out of you know making the moonsault like his signature maneuver 
And, you know, it, it probably saved this man. Now, you know, he had other injury issues throughout his career. I mean, his, his career, he was injury plagued. Uh, he's 47 years old and he's retiring now. But, you know, you look at Muto and his, his knee, the state of his knees and his hips from doing all those moonsaults over the years. And uh, Kness probably saved himself. Taka probably saved him a lot of trouble uh, by, by uh, you know, uh, focusing him towards some other safer maneuvers rather than focusing on the moonsault. So there's just a lot of little anecdotes like that. And, and you know, if you're a Dragon Gate fan who doesn't know much about Kness or if you're a, a, a huge Dragon Gate fan who just wants to know more about Kness, or if you're just a wrestling fan who loves the kind of biographical stuff that Rich and I do here on the flagship, uh, it's well worth a listen. I mean, it's tremendous stuff. And uh, Jay really, he just walks you through Kness's entire career from Mishinoku Pro and then how he got hooked up with Toriyaman and then eventually how that led to Dragon Gate and how he's been with Dragon Gate, you know, essentially from the beginning and then he walks you through all the different, you know, units that he worked for and all of his, you know, major feuds and rivalries. And um, it was just such an interesting listen. And that's the first hour of the show. And then on top of that, it has nothing to do with Kness, but then they do another 90 minutes just on the state of wrestling in Japan. And it's very interesting to hear Jay answer Case and Mike's questions and talk about stuff that doesn't necessarily pertain to Dragon Gate necessarily. How often do you get to hear him talk about, you know, non-Dragon Gate topics? So it's about a two and a half hour podcast and it is uh, it's just tremendous work by Case and Mike setting Jay up and then getting out of the way. And Jay really knocks it out of the park too. And it really was a super interesting listen. And you are, I don't care how big of a Dragon Gate fan you think you are, okay? You listen to this show, you're going to learn something. You listen to this show, you're going to learn something about, uh, you know, Kness and his career and working as Makato and, you know, the Darkness Dragon days. And it's just such an interesting story. And now how, you know, Kness, who, you know, he's giving away a lot of his signature moves to the younger wrestlers on the roster now and the backstory behind all of that and, and just, uh, you know, I can't do it justice. So I strongly recommend it. And I'm going to check out that retirement show at some point this week. And, um, you know, I don't want to promise Dragon Gate talk <laughs> or Dragon Gate review next week. Because I'll tell you that, and then it'll get pushed to the overrun or something. But, uh, you know, we'll see how the week goes. But I'm definitely going to watch it, and we'll see if we can get Rich to watch it when he gets back from uh, uh, killing moose in Alaska. Did you see he posted that picture of the dead moose on the Discord? What's what's going on with that? Is Rich up there killing moose? Or mooses? Or meese? What do you call them? What's the plural? It's just moose, right? Like, the singular is moose. And the plural's moose. It's not mooses, is it? I don't think it's mooses. Um, but anyway, so uh, we got to get Rich to catch up. So next week we'll talk hyper battle for sure. And maybe set up the big AEW week. Do a little champion carnival. Maybe a Kness retirement. This felt good. We hit a lot of topics today on the flagship. A lot of different promotions. 
WWE, little AE dub, right? Some New Japan, All Japan, even a little Dragon Gate. So this was a good show. And it's like 5 o'clock in the morning, so I should probably wrap it up. So that's it. We'll see you next week with the return of Rich Krejci. Take care.